Hey, Shopify Masters listeners, Felix here. We've got a special episode today, and we're catching up with three merchants who've previously been on the show. They share updates on their business and how they are adapting to the impacts of the current COVID-19 outbreak. We're chatting with Chris Meads from CrossNet on how they changed their marketing to adapt to the pandemic. Jess Ekstrom from Headbands of Hope on shifting their business model to donate masks. And Gamal Kodner from Fresh Heritage on tripling their marketing budget despite the pandemic. Before we get into our show, I want to share strategies some businesses are using to help manage cash flow during COVID-19. They're selling gift cards. Gift cards give customers a way to support you right now. We've seen some creative ways to market them, like selling gift cards at a discount, giving special offers for customers who've redeemed them in the future, and adding free gift cards to high-value cards as a bonus. As part of Shopify's response to COVID-19, gift cards are now available on all Shopify plans. So you can start selling them right away. For more information, visit shopify.com slash gift card. In this update, we're chatting with Chris Mead from CrossNet. CrossNet is the world's first four-square volleyball game. You'll learn how their sales blew up by 500% on a daily basis despite the pandemic. So what was the original effect of COVID-19 on, on your business? Yeah, so when COVID-19 had started, we really in that first week, we saw an increase in site visitors, and which led to an increase in conversion and sales. And since it's been about or roughly two months into this thing, uh, we've seen sales go up over 500% on a daily basis over the last two months. Uh, so it's been a really crazy impact to our business. That's, that's, that's crazy. What do, you th- what do you attribute the cause for that, that kind of spike in uh, traffic and, and revenue? Yeah, so it's twofold. So uh, there's obviously more people on their phones and on their computer kind of looking to kill time and engaging with ads on the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, there is a little bit less, a little less people running advertisements. So the Facebook marketplace has been a little bit more cost effective for our business. So we've been able to ramp up our ads as we've seen our cost per acquisition drop. Uh, so it just kind of makes sense from a business perspective there. And then for the actual game, the four-way volleyball net, right? It's a perfect, uh, perfect recreational tool for anybody who's kind of stuck at home. I live in Miami, so I don't have that backyard or the front yard. But the majority of the United States has some patch of grass that they go out and stretch their legs and burn some calories and play with their family if they're stuck home and everybody's safe. So it's been a, a really cool game, and we've seen customers just absolutely love it. Mm, that makes sense. So so clearly, uh, lots of the the market change, the, 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 the dynamics of the marketplace change where people were at home, people spend more time online, there's less competition for those impressions online, helped you guys drive more traffic to your your store. Were there any things that you, you did purposefully fully since then to, to, I guess, position your business or position your products in a way that, uh, I guess, is, is helping you thrive during this this time? Yeah, I think we've definitely taken a more empathetic approach. I know on the customer service side, we have staffed up tremendously. Like We made like five different new hires over this time just to be uh, responding to everybody's customer service inquiries, phone calls. I know financial situations are changing every second. So somebody needs to cancel, somebody needs to expedite. Uh, we're doing as much as we can to just kind of make everybody feel heard and listened to. And then on the advertisement side, uh, we've taken a less approach of buy now to like better days are ahead, right? Like we're looking for the, forward to the summer. We're looking forward to going back to the beach and having fun with our friends and family. And if you are quarantined and you're safe with a family and you have four people that can play, perfect. Crosshats for you right now. Um, if you're not in a situation with four people, 
maybe cross that's for you in a few months and just buy this now and stash it away because good times are coming. So it's uh, less of a bye-bye now and more of a good days are ahead. Mm, makes sense. So were you able to quickly I guess, capitalize on the, this uh, growth in sales? Did you have the, the operations set up or did you have to make a lot of, it sounds like you did a lot of hiring or at least staffed up more when it came to, to customer service. What about like fulfillment or anything else along the supply chain? Of course. Yeah. So we've hired a few more fulfillment people just to kind of help out with the order production, uh, printing labels, actually moving the, the inventory on a daily basis. And then on the supply side, we were well stocked. Uh, for a situation like this, but nobody's fully prepared to see a 500% growth out of nowhere. Uh, so our inventory did take a hit. Uh, we've been fortunate that our supply chain was able to rush deliver a lot of stuff uh, to our warehouse. Uh, so we've been able to crank orders out and keep things going, and we've doubled down just to prepare for a situation uh, if this goes on any longer. So we've overmade inventory just to prepare. Yeah, I was going to talk about that next. So what, what, other than stocking about inventory, what, what do you think is your game plan? Like, I guess how are you guys anticipating any any changes or in, or even lack of changes between now and end of the year? Yeah, for us, we're we definitely do thrive in the summer because we are a beach product. So our best seasons are supposed to be that June, July, August. So we were expecting it to ramp up, but never to this degree. Uh, so what we're we're kind of preparing for things to stay the same, if not scale even higher uh, this summer, because people are more eager than ever to go back. Like I can't wait to go to the beach, you know. So I know all of our customers are feeling the same way. So I think our business is going to continue to thrive over the next few months. Um, and the only thing I can do is just prepare for it and keep the advertisements good. Uh, and the great thing about it is we've been getting a lot of user-generated content. Families are saying, hey, my kids have been outside for five hours today and they love this thing. Or I haven't seen my kids since mm-hmm. Tuesday. They're, they're sitting in the backyard all day playing. So uh, we've been getting a lot of testimonials, which is awesome. That is awesome. And did you see this 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 uh, boost in sales like immediately? Or when, I guess what was the timeline of, of, of the sales growing? Yeah, it was immediate. I think it, I'm looking at the calendar right now. I think it was like literally late March when it really started. Uh, and it just has not slowed down whatsoever. Makes sense. And now before late March, when it was kind of earlier in March, I do remember the timeline, at least in the U.S., there was, you know, I guess early to mid-March, there was kind of signs of, of a pending recession and the, the pandemic obviously reaching the, the U.S. Would you guys do anything ahead of time or did you have any plan? What Did you expect this to happen or did you expect the opposite to happen? We really didn't know to be fully transparent with you. Like, the game is $150, right? So it's not the most affordable product and it's not a necessary product. But I think as time has gone on, people have become really, really desperate for something fun to do and different. How many times can you sit there and watch Netflix, right? I remember just even myself, I'm shopping on Facebook Marketplace for the first time trying to find dumbbells to purchase. So people are really looking for something fun to do and get outside and stretch their legs and have fun and cross that's been perfect for them. So we didn't really, we weren't fully prepared. I, I would be lying to you if we were, but fortunately we did have even things like Afterpay, which is a something that allows for our customers to do payment plans. So maybe they don't have 150 bucks, but they have 30 bucks to throw to it. Uh, we could get them the net. And as long as they're making the payments, everything's good. 
That makes sense. So it sounds like you you guys are in great position, but then also took uh, took steps to essentially capitalize on the need of your customers for for entertainment and things to do with their their family or the people that they're living with. Um, when you think about how to continue to keep the company healthy, what do you what do you foresee yourself um, focusing your resources? Like, where do you feel like you want to uh, prepare your business for if this extends longer? Is it in cash? Like, what is it that you think that you would want to spend your time in in kind of building up resource wise yeah so right now my biggest thing is to get the customers who are playing uh to actually keep going out and having fun and driving the sport forward i think we talked about this last time it's just like on one hand we're selling a product but on the other hand we're growing a sport and the sport needs to to last longer than the product does so we need to keep keep getting people outside keep playing keep pushing the sport forward and uh, the best way we do that is just uh, by driving competition, driving tournaments when the world's able to, to go back to kind of nor- some some sort of normalcy. Uh, so having tournaments and events. And then from the social media side, we're running competitions daily. Like who sends us the best piece of content will give you a $50 Amazon gift card or money back on your order, or 50 bucks to your favorite local restaurant. So we're running contests to motivation and then also we're getting UGC out of it which is great to, to repurpose awesome thank you so much Chris for coming on and sharing your experience during this uh, I guess new age that we're living in in this next update I'm joined by Jess Ekstrom from Headbands of Hope Headbands of Hope offers a wide range of beautiful headbands and hair accessories for all ages for every item purchased one headband is donated to a child with cancer you'll learn how they shifted their model and were able to donate over 100,000 masks to over 200 hospitals in a few weeks so can you describe the biz, your business and, and what you, you sell before the, the pandemic happened? So at, at Headbands of Hope, we sell headbands. And for every headband sold, we donate one to a child with cancer. Something I started uh, when I was a junior in college. <laughs> had no idea what I was doing, but realized that a lot of kids who were losing their hair to chemotherapy loved to wear headbands. Awesome. Okay, so that, that, that that's certainly a, an amazing mission. And we'll get into a, a bit to talk about how I think that has changed a bit since the pandemic. But can you tell us about what was your immediate reaction after all the lockdowns started happening after the pandemic hit? You know, I think in, in North America, that was probably around early to mid-March. Yeah, it, it was actually kind of crazy. We had a conference that we were planning March 21st. And so I was like, if I could pick the worst date to mm. host a conference. That would have been it because everything really started to unfold uh, the week before. And I remember when I started hearing buzz about COVID, it was something that like you, you didn't know if it was real, how serious it was. Is it going to affect me? Uh, you know, I, it was just this big cloud of uncertainty. So you just kind of kept moving as if things were just going to go back to normal. Like it was like a hurricane that was just going to come through one day and be, be gone. Mm. And then when I realized that this was something, um, that was going to be much bigger than that, you kind of reach this crossroads where you have to make a decision. And one of the things I say in my book, chasing the bright side is that hard times actually give us a choice. They can be the excuse as to why we do less, or they can be the reason as to why we do more. And so in that moment, we decided to pivot. We realized that there was a lot of um, hospitals that needed masks. There wasn't uh, enough masks to go around with everything that was needed at hospitals around the country. 
So we shifted our model to pause the donation of headbands and instead donate masks. And in just a few weeks since this all started, we've donated over 100,000 masks to over 200 hospitals around the country. That's, that's amazing. And did you find that, that the customers that you have like rallied behind the, this, this new mission and, and so you saw a spike in sales or spike in people that are coming to buy because they wanted to support this mission? Absolutely. And I think that when... You know, we had this moment as a team when we were going into all this, like almost like putting, you know, our armor on, like this is going to be a rough, you know, few months or however mm. long it's going to take for us to get through this. And it actually has been a uh, huge growth for Headbands of Hope. And there's so many people that uh, bought from us, so many first time customers in the past month that maybe never would have discovered us had it not been for this. And so I've been really proud of my team as the way that they've been handling the pivot as well and just committing to it. Because I think that sometimes when you pivot, uh, the degree of the pivot matters. You know, sometimes you're like, well, we can try this, get our toes into it. But for Headbands of Hope, we just went all in. You know, we just went all into donating masks. We got a partnership with Zappos to donate more masks. And it just really kind of caught fire from there. And I think throughout all this, it's also shown us that new problems also mean new solutions. Mm. So especially in business, things that you've never experienced before can also be breeding grounds for innovation. You know, one of the things that we do at Headbands of Hope, that's a big part of our business is wholesale, you know, stores. And a lot of those stores were, are shut down and, and struggling. So we dropped our minimums. We, uh, ended up, ha we were supposed to go to this trade show in April that ended up not happening. And it was a trade show for wholesalers to, um, pick out products. And it's a pretty big part of our business that we do almost eight times a year. And my wholesale director got the idea to do a virtual trade show. So we went in, uh, the warehouse and she set up a booth, like we would at a trade show and uh, went on YouTube live at one o'clock on Friday, sent it out to all of our retailers and, you know, our email list and people tuned in as she was going through our new products, our headbands that serve as facial protection and got more orders than she would have when we go to the trade shows without the overhead of traveling and booth costs. So there's definitely been some new things that have been created as a result of this that will definitely we'll definitely keep doing um, as a result. Yeah, I think that's a very good point that you, you bring up, which is that these these new new problems require new solutions. I think for, for a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, that, that's an important thing to think about because when you do start your business, when you start your first business, you are here to solve a problem too. Now, yes, there's a huge onslaught of new problems, new environment that we're in, but it's still the same, I think, uh, mission or lifeblood of an entrepreneur, which is to go out and solve these problems. I think that's important to 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 be mindful of and kind of keep keep in context that hey, this is not some this is not a new job that that the entrepreneurs have. This is the job of coming in and solving problems. So when you when you as a team decided, okay, let's go in all in on 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 this 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 new, this new mission that we have to donate these masks. What what, what did you find was um, I guess uh, easier than, than expected? Like you were coming in, maybe you, you you saw some things that might have been a challenge, but as you're going through this this transition, what 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 did you find went smoother than you had expected? That's a good question. I think that the marketing aspect, you know, when you make pivots in your business, you uh, sometimes have this fear of like, how do I explain this? You know, how will people know? Where can we reach them? And people were so in tune 
with what was happening in hospitals and uh, the shortage of masks that it was easier to explain this shift. Uh, and the rally of support behind it was incredible um, right out of the gate. I mean, uh, our engagement on social media went up. We had um, different, you know, influencers and celebrities sharing this. And so I feel like that uh, initial spark of the marketing campaign was easier than um, what we had expected it to be. And was there a lot of planning involved? I think that one businesses, especially during this time, are working to to make shifts and make changes. They do, of course, have to, to announce and change the messaging or, or, or launch. And there's just so much activity right now. There's so much uh, news, so much attention kind of being grabbed right now. How did you find ways to kind of break through? We kind of went where the fire was, you know, with everyone talking about that there was a shortage of masks, we were there to be that solution for people. Um, so yes, it can be hard to cut through the noise, but I think if what you're doing is relevant and it's also providing something positive, you know, I think that a lot of people were, uh, and still now getting really, um, down in the doom gloom of the news. And if you're there to not just be relevant, but also show the upside of all of this, uh, it really perked up a lot of attention. And um, there are so many companies doing that right now, like that it, it's it's cool to see the ability to pivot in business and how business can truly be that vehicle for change. And what about what was harder? What was surprising or things that, that were that were unexpected challenges that came up from this shift? We had one of the biggest influx of orders that we've ever seen at Headbands of Hope. And so on the operations side, we weren't prepared for that. And, uh, you know, we have our own warehouse, we have uh, staff in that warehouse. And um, we were, I mean, they were spending 12 hours a day getting orders out. And a lot of the orders that we were going to ship ended up being late, you know, past the date that we um, typically promised that customers will get their orders. And so one of the things that we decided, you know, a long time ago in our business that is we were just going to be totally transparent, you know, transparent about our mistakes, transparent about our mission, transparent about where our headbands go after each purchase. And so we ended up having to send thousands of emails to people that their order was going to be late. And, uh, and I, I think like, I mean, it was like 2% of those people um, asked for refunds. And it was really cool to see that the um, camaraderie of our customers and that community was also really forgiving of small businesses trying to just keep juggling balls in the air and make ends meet. I remember our one of our customer service um, representatives, she sent this email to everyone and she copied and pasted all the really positive responses from people after we sent out those like late delivery emails. And the subject line was, people are good. and because it was this major source of anxiety for all of us. You know, we want to make a good first impression as a business and for that order to be late, you know, is typically not our character. And, but I think we gained more trust and, uh, and, and more appreciation through being transparent about it and addressing it and not just like blaming the postal service. Uh, and people, you know, one of the things said, like, because of how you handled this, I'm now going to be a lifelong customer. Um, so that was a challenge that ended up being uh, just a really cool pillar of Headbands mm. of Hope now. Yeah, that's amazing. So, so in terms of the logistics and the, the, the supply chain on the donation side, you mentioned 100,000 
uh, masks to, to how many hospitals and, and how, how did you set up the logistics of donating these masks? So we actually got connected with um, someone at U.S. Acute Hospitals who they are, they oversee like 200 hospitals around the country. So it was great from a logistics side because we could just send the masks directly to them and then they dispersed it to the hospitals that were, that needed it most at that time. Um, so it was really great to have that partnership. And it was a, uh, a amazing moment for our business when we called them and said, Hey, we have a hundred thousand masks, um, that we want to donate because we wanted to donate them in bulk instead of shipping, you know, uh, a lot of boxes. We wanted to ship one shipment and, uh, it was very tearful, like on the other end of the phone, um, which made us tearful. And, uh, I think this is, experience has also just shown the humanity of everyone, um, whether you're in business, whether you're a healthcare worker, uh, just even though social distancing is a thing more than ever, I think connection is too. Awesome. So headbandsofhope.com is the website. How are you planning to, to I guess, what are, you, what are you doing looking ahead over the next year or so or forever, how long that this this will last? How are you planning to kind of adapt the, the business over time to withstand if this takes longer than, than, than expected? Yeah, I think like everyone, we're staying loose. You know, I think that that's something that uh, is kind of hard to do in business because you want to have things set in stone. You want to have a six month plan and a one year plan. And uh, we're taking things more loosely than we have before. You know, we're staying on the masks uh, donation now. We're staying flexible with our retailers in terms of minimum orders. And um, but more than ever, we're creating uh, more products that serve multi-purpose headbands and facial protection. So that's the one thing that we're sure of that we don't think mm. is going to go away for a while that we think we can do really well. Um, but just like everyone, I think that, uh, you know, this idea of uncertainty can either be really fearful, like this impending doom, or it can be like just endless possibilities. Um, and so we're trying to choose the endless possibility side of the uncertainty spectrum. Awesome. Thank you so much for your inspiring story, Jess. In this final update for this episode, I'm joined by Gamal Kodner from Fresh Heritage. Fresh Heritage sells high-quality grooming products for men of color who care about how they look and feel. In this episode, you'll learn why he tripled their marketing budget and how it affected his business. All right, Gamal, so tell us more about your business. Describe your business to us and what you were, uh, what you sell. Yeah, so my business is Fresh Heritage, and we sell... Um, personal care and grooming products for men of color with beards. Awesome. So when COVID-19 hit, the pandemic hit, a lockdown hit earlier this year in, uh, in the United States, what was your immediate reaction? Man, I was freaking out. I wasn't sure how bad or how long this thing would go. And I spoke with some of my advisors and they essentially said, you know, three things may or may not happen. You got to be mindful of your cash flow, you know, and prepare if half your revenue is dropped. You want to make sure that you guys are in a position to not have to shut your doors down. Um, two, how long it was going to take for you to receive product from your vendors, especially um, for other um, other stores who buy from China or overseas. That was problematic for us because um, we source some of our like packaging labels and boxes from overseas. And then also how it's going to impact our ability to deliver our products to our customers because the postal service and stuff like that was severely impacted. So I ultimately decided that, you know, if I were going to go out, I wanted to go out swinging. So instead of like scaling back, I actually like 
three um, X our ad budget and just really ramped up production on stuff and came up with the plan to launch additional products because I was like, hey, if I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna go out swinging. So you mentioned that you have uh, advisors that that you consulted for uh, during these when when the COVID nineteen first hit. Tell us more about how you built the relationship with those advisors. Yeah, so I really believe that it's important to. Um, learn from others who've been where you want to go so you don't have to make those same mistakes. And so I did some research and found some people who sold to my same demographic because it's very it's almost difficult to sell to our demographic. And so I saw someone who'd built an eight-figure company. He's, um, their company does north of $20 million a year, and I just reached out. Um, but outside of that, him specifically – um, I'm always in masterminds. I'm always investing in new courses just to be in an ecosystem of people who are doing what I'm doing and who I could learn from. And at the same time, I'm also making sure that I'm doing my part to give back for others who uh, want to be in a, in a position to grow their brands to where my brand is. Mm, okay, so to go over those uh, those um, tips that they gave you again is first to be mindful of your cash flows. You don't want to run out of cash and have to close your doors. Uh, be mindful of getting inventory in, and then also how to uh, be mindful of being able to deliver the products to your customers. Uh, but then you also went with this approach of wanting to go out swinging 3x your ad budget, ramp the production, new products. So it sounds like you took some, maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, but you took some advice, and some advice you're like, you know what, let me do my own things. So tell us more about that. How did you come to the decision of, let me go out swinging, let me spend more on advertising and marketing, which typically people pull back on during you know uncertainty, but you ramped it up, ramped up production and came on new products. Tell, tell us more about that thought process. Correct. So a large part, so I checked cash flow wise and I'm very, um, <laughs> I would categorize myself as a frugal person. So um, I was comfortable there. I don't, I create all my products in the US. It's US made for the most part, except for like boxes and packaging uh, is outside the US, but all our core ingredients were in house. I did, I did um, go through some um, issues there with uh, our production and our supplements and vitamins. But I ultimately realized that I assessed myself and I assessed others where my competitors could buy from. And I realized that they were probably going to scale back. A lot of them were heavily invested in retail and selling through retail channels. And I know a lot of them um, had lower cost of goods because they outsourced from overseas, which usually is a disadvantage for me because I have more premium products. But I just recognize an opportunity that the people who the other options for my consumers to buy from were probably going to have to scale back. And so I knew that was a great opportunity for me to um, be a voice and to build a real stronger bond with my community. Got it. Okay, so let's start with um, 3Xing your ad budget. So I'm sure you didn't do this overnight and just like triple your budget. So tell us about how you approached uh, growing your marketing budget or your marketing spend uh, for your business. Funny enough, I actually just tripled it overnight. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, um, for other, I wouldn't recommend everyone do that. But um, for me, it was just a simple, like when people talk about ads, they think ads are going to fix their business. Ads just amplifies what's already there. And so I knew I had, I knew how to find my audience. I knew the sales funnel that converted. I knew what our conversion rates were. So I just literally went in, launched some campaigns that tripled the budget I had the day before. Um, and they performed well out the gate. And in the meantime, I worked on increasing our store's conversion rate so that I could maximize the amount of conversions I was getting for the ad spend. So I ended up scaling ad spend back down 
while keeping the same amount of revenue coming through. But it's because I focused on converting more of the customers that my ads are bringing to the store. Got it. Okay, so when you when you just go in and up your budget by 3x, do you have to make any other changes like bringing more creatives or more angles for your ads? Like Any changes there when you scale up your, your budget like that? Yeah, absolutely. They can get fatigued really quickly. And so, um, you know, as a support to this initiative of um, really growing our revenue, we definitely had to, we hired an ad, uh, ad creative agency, which, you know, all they were responsible for is helping us create creatives. And um, um, and I also worked with some folks locally and really um, reached out to our influencers to get some more user generated content, because even during this pandemic, quote unquote, um, I've seen a lot of the creatives that work well still be just really simple user generated content. And so um, the good thing about having a bigger budget is I was able to test things a lot faster and get back results on our my hypotheses and tests a lot sooner. So it's been that way since the start of the pandemic, like user generated content is still outperforming like professionally high res um, type production videos and in, in photography, which is a good thing for me because it cut down on my time, um, my turnaround time for dropping new creatives in some of my ads. Do you find that, that that's true across the I know you work with a bunch of different brands and different industries. Uh, do you find that that's true across the board that user generated content will perform better than a, like a professional photo shoot? Yep, I have. So you're right. I, I coach a, a couple of dozen entrepreneurs on how to use ads to grow their business. And we actually went through that specific scenario. I have someone who's in my program who's a very dope creative, has a lot of professional um, background in that. And we tested that out with more of a user generated content person product in use. And that's been performing really well. And it's in a completely different industry, completely different demographic. So I think that's just really true right now with a lot of people online because why this has been working is because um, the average daily use of Facebook and Instagram has shot through the roof. It's now it has been more than uh, the how the typical average daily user through uh, Cyber Monday, Black Friday. That's because everyone's working from home, and we all know work from home just means do some work for a little bit and then <laughs> jump on IG. And so there's so many more eyes on there. And so I think what's going on is um, people are aware of being sold to, but at the they don't want that. But at the same time, they really want to consume shareable viral content. And so TikTok style content where it's like quick and funny and humorous and something you can share or any kind of really engaging thing. I see those types of um, content doing really well for ad creators and just like social posts in general. Got it. Did you find that it was cheaper to advertise during this time or, or was it more expensive to, to reach your customers? No, way cheaper because a lot of big box advertisers pulled out. And so how the auction, how the ads work is like an auction. You're all paying to try to get to the same consumer. And so pretty much all of the travel um, big brands, all of the hotel, flight airlines, all those guys pull back a lot of big box retailers. They pulled back. And so um, that just created cheaper auctions. And so I saw my CPMs drop like to about a third. So I increased my budget by 3x and then my CPMs dropped about at least half to, two th uh, to um, a third of what it used to be. Mm. 
Now, you mentioned that you wouldn't just uh, blindly increase your budget without making sure that your funnel throughout was airtight as well. So you mentioned that you went to your sites or the rest of your funnel to make sure they could increase the conversion rates as well, work on that a little bit more. Tell us more about that. What, what, what were some changes? What were some things you discovered and the changes that you made to increase conversion rates? Yeah, great question. And this is funny, but there's no like tried and true thing to do that it's guaranteed to work. But there are some things that you should look at that you could make some adjustments that could work. The very first thing I did was I noticed that my mobile site converted a lot different than my um, desktop traffic site. And so I had to make a decision based on my desktop was converting way higher. And the changes I made initially dropped that. But I had to make a decision on like which traffic I was going to overcommit to. And since social is mostly mobile, like 90% mobile, I made a change to that. And so thing, if depending on who your customer base is, your age and demographics, how they consume your content, some of these changes that work well for mobile optimized sites kill conversions on desktop. And so that was one of the things I had to learn that I couldn't just be a general kind of all-purpose change. I had to be real specific. And so simple things like having to get more people to my cart those are one set of changes where it's things about like placements and just using heat maps to realize that people were weren't even going to a certain point in my website. So there is no use even putting my best selling product there. And it was just checking out individual conversion rates of products and added more of that to the parts of the websites and rearranging my website to add those hot products in the place that most people visited on my site. And then there were specific changes that I made on my actual cart to help conversions as well, just to make it easier for people to reach the checkout page. So removing a lot of the steps and processes and removing a lot of the required information on the checkout and stuff. So it was just a lot more seamless and easy for people to give me their money. I think out of the box, a lot of uh, users, a lot of other uh, merchants might have these kind of nice to have but unnecessary uh, I guess, fields that add the friction. What were some things that you removed that that, that just really didn't need it that other people might want to reconsider removing from their checkout process as well? Yeah, like some of the things were like the secondary address line that was optional or took that out, company name, took that out. Um, what else? Like having phone and email, took that out. Having like middle initial, all that stuff, took all that stuff out. And it's given the real basics, just name, one type of contact information, one address line, and that's it. And a big one that I saw across some of my students that I coached, um, they have like they required you to create an account. And they just made it very difficult for people to actually just get the product that they've been shopping for. Mm, makes sense. Do you do you recall what the, the, the change or the increase in the conversion rate was during these changes that you made? Yeah, I actually saw a uh, 100% increase. So, um, like I double. So, if you know you're doing three, it's six. If you're doing two, now four. So, it was a significant increase. That's amazing. So, not only did you increase the budget, but then also increase the efficiency of the traffic that you were driving to your your site. Um, now, what about like uh, existing customers? Or there certain things that because your product is your 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 brand, the, the business you run, the store you run, is very much like repeat customer, um, I guess, conducive. What 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 changes do you make there to to encourage or to increase the repeat purchase behavior of your customers? Yeah, that's actually a very good point that I was going to bring up. So we uh, we also made a mental shift to take our focus away from like customer acquisition. 
and customer acquisition costs, which I originally started off with. And I told you that I lowered my budget and I shift the focus to customer lifetime value. And because we have a consumable, we made a very um, diligent effort to increase our subscription program. And over the last like 120 days, we've grown our subscription program by 450%. So almost 5X in the amount of members on our program. And so we just made it, uh, one, we like really tapped in tune with the issues and problems of our consumer early on. So, um, you know, for a man of color who grooms himself, our customer base is usually like uh, really cool professionals who have important jobs. Now they're now working from home, got their kids running around and playing, making all sorts of noise. They can't do conference calls and their, their our family's concerned about what's going to happen. And so there's a lot of pressure on them. So we just really got ourselves in the minds of our consumers and communicated with them in a way that built more trust. And then we found the value proposition in our product that would incentivize them to want to, you know, commit to having our product in their lives to help them get through this time. And then we also really hammered our membership program. And so we didn't call it a subscription program. We called it a membership program for a lot of psychological reasons. We probably don't have time to get into but um, we saw that helped a lot. And then we built out email and, you know, just messaging and ad campaigns to really incentivize and remind people of the benefit of joining and becoming a member of our program. But that was something I wanted to do because that also took a lot of pressure off of me because I, I knew if I grew my membership program, then that would take a lot of the, you know, kind of mystery about what the future holds for our business off if we knew we had some reoccurring consistent income coming in through the uh, through the company. Yeah, I think the concern that your customers had about, you know, their lives are kind of flipped upside down, what's the economy going to be like? Are they going to be able to keep their jobs? Like these are all fears that I think anybody out there that's listening there, they know that their customers have as well. And you mentioned that you found ways to address that. Can you speak more about that? How can, how can merchants out there try to be kind of, you know, on the side of their, their customers rather than someone that's just looking to take their money during these uncertain times? Yeah. So with my product, it's it's a niche product, so it's probably a little more difficult to understand. So I'll use an example with my students because we kind of went through this exercise for everyone. Um, one of my students sells um, really high-end makeup. She's a celebrity makeup artist and she launched a makeup line and it was doing well, but it's a premium product. And she thought, man, no one wants to spend all this extra money during these times. Like, you know, who am I to ask people for their money? But what we realized in going back through their customer profile is that their customers um, really needed their product at a time like this, and they needed some help other ways. And so a lot of these people, these women, would go to their old job and sit in cubicles and never have to see anyone each day. So they would, you know, having their makeup done and being on point wasn't as important. But now they're forced to sit, you know, uh, one foot away from a camera and sit on Zoom calls with their president of the company or their boss's boss, and they're being recorded. And there's a lot of anxiety around that. And so I just kind of changed her perspective and just reminded her of like, hey, why you started this company is because you wanted to help women look and feel their best each day. And now is the time to shine. And so we, you know, talked through that and hit some of those talking points and also realized that, you know, her brand could in order to succeed and help her customers. It wasn't only about makeup tutorials. Uh, it was about quick makeup tutorials um, for work because you're limited. And it was also um, providing some advice on how to work from home better like Zoom etiquette or how to find better lighting and mics and stuff like that. So how to manage your time better working from home. And so her customer profile kind of shifted 
And I just wanted to make sure that she understood that and was able to meet the customers where their new needs emerged. Does that make sense? That does. I think that's the most inspiring thing I've seen during these times is how entrepreneurs don't just kind of toss their hands up in the air and say, well, that's my business. Everything's done now. They're finding ways to adapt. And I think one key thing you're pointing out so far is that you don't have to just all of a sudden change your entire company, change your product, but there's you can still keep the same thing, but change the way that you are serving your customers in other ways. Like it sounds like for your student, it was about the kind of content, the kind of messaging that you can now try to solve it, almost like a different problem that they're they're facing, uh, but using again the same product that 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 they've been currently selling. I think there's a a almost like a, a sometimes a, a rash decision to say, let me come up, come up with new products to address these times. But sometimes it could be much smaller than that and much less intensive, much less risky approach, which is in your in your student's case, it was around changing the kind of content that they were producing for their customers. Yeah, because what happened then is that their ideal customer knows that they can now come to this company because they understand the pain, they understand their problems, and they're a resource for all of the things that's just uh, happening in their lives that seemingly just turned upside down. And so um, they created like almost like a magnet to more of their customers and they created a stronger bond with their customers and their community. And naturally that's going to um, just result in some sort of financial exchange for a product that's improving their lives. Awesome. So now you mentioned as well, you uh, you did ramp up production and come up with, with new products during this time too. Tell us more about that. Like, What was the thought process behind, well, I guess ramping up production makes sense if you are selling more. What kind of new products did you come out with at this time? Yeah, um, we just completed our line. And so we sell grooming products, premium and natural grooming products to men of color with beards. And a lot of our products are inspired from our origin story. We went to North Africa and spent some time at a local village and just realized all the grooming traditions there in North Africa and we brought it back. And we always wanted to, because I'm Jamaican and from the Caribbean, we always wanted to add additional products that were inspired from the grooming traditions in the Caribbean because there's many. And so we launched additional um, beard oil scents and we we launched a uh, beard and hair wash and a conditioner and just a complete system for men to just have a complete grooming system all inspired by natural and organic ingredients from all around the world in a different um, kind of African diaspora spots so South America the Caribbean and different parts of like Africa awesome now when you're looking ahead who not knowing how long this is going to last what are the plans that you're putting into place now or you're planning to put into place over the overhead over the next year or so to make sure that you can sustain long term yeah so what this has really taught me is that um, we shouldn't really rely on one source both traffic um, because that can change over day um, like product and also a vendor so definitely having like a plan b and c vendor because um you know that vendor could go out of business and you can be screwed. That's happened to some people who are in my circle. And so that was important. So the importance of like having multiple vendors and relationships. And then also uh, this was just a reality check for us. There's so many people being impacted. We are also launching into wellness. And so that's a really big initiative for us and just uh, wellness products like supplements and vitamins to specifically help like people of color um, get access to like really good high quality products that's going to change not only how they look on the outside, which our products do now, but really impact how they're, how they feel and change their bodies from the inside out. 
And so I'm really, really excited about that because I've just noticed during this time how important it is for like self self care and like personal care of your bodies. Awesome. So freshheritage.com is the website for the store. And then where else can people find you? Uh, we're really active on Instagrams, our best social platform. So Instagram and Facebook. So freshheritage.com is the website. Um, if anyone has any additional questions for me, Gamal Kodner is my Instagram profile. That's where I'm most active. Happy to answer and um, provide any feedback there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Gamal. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.